0: To learn who rules over you, simply find out that you're not allowed to criticize. You are listening to ACH, I'm Andy, your host. Today is Thursday, so of course it's time for the Limeys with my good friend Dr Peter Hammond. So let's bring him up right now. Peter, are you with us? I am with you, yes. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. Um, Peter's got another interesting topic, as always, and it's so prescient to the times we live in. Today's show title is The Real Story of of Alexander Solzhenitsyn's strategy to defeat communism. So, Peter, where would you like to start us off today with this topic?
1: Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the famous Russian author and historian, was a firm believer in atheism and Marxism-Leninism. He he served as an artillery captain in the Red Army during the Second World War. In fact, he even uh, received an honorable uh, award for incredible courage. Uh, He he was... uh, a brave man. Uh, he got the Order of the Red Star on the 8th of July 1944. Uh, he was a an unquestioning Marxist and atheist. Uh, he believed in the state. He supported the state. But he started to be uh, deeply disturbed by the atrocities, the war crimes that he witnessed against German civilians uh, in East Prussia. So uh, starting in 1944, he started to see the gang raping, the murders, the tortures, and uh, he was uh, actually quite horrified, and he knew this was official state policy from uh, Ilya uh, Ehrenberg, uh, that they they were meant to murder and rape and so on, and uh, that this was uh, the orders from the top, that this was... But he started to say that there's nothing that so assists the awakening of the conscience within us as insistent thoughts about our own transgressions and errors and mistakes, and he said as we Marched through East Prussia enshrouded in fire with my captain's shoulder boards. I started to ask, So are we any better than our enemies? And he started to come to the conclusion, We're actually vastly worse. And uh, in February 1945, while serving East Prussia, Solzhenitsyn very unwisely, in a private letter to a friend, wrote about the boss. Kozain, um meaning Stalin, and Balabos, uh, that's Yiddish rendering of the Hebrew um, master of the house. And uh, so he referred to Stalin as, as the boss and as the Balabos. Um, and uh, he even referred to him as the moustached one. Well, as a result of these unguarded comments in um, a private letter, which which questioned in particular, the conduct of how they were abusing civilians in Germany. Uh, this resulted him being condemned. Uh, he was arrested by Smirsch. And uh, while, as he said, he was in the Lubyanka prison in Moscow being interrogated when on 9th of May 1945, it was announced that Germany had surrendered and all of Moscow broke out in celebrations, fireworks, searchlights, illuminating the skies, celebrating the victory in the Great Patriotic War, as they called it. But he said... In ourselves in Lubyanka, there was no celebration. There's no hugs, no kisses for us. There's no rejoicing. We said that victory was not for us. So the 7th of July, 1945, someone who served through the whole of the Second World War and the Great Patriotic War, as the Russians called it, as a Red Army officer, he is sentenced uh, by a special counsel of the NKVD to eight years hard labor in a labor camp which is the normal sentence for most crimes under Article 58 at that time. And uh, uh, he went into the Arctic hellholes of uh, of Siberia. And it was in that Arctic hellhole that Solzhenitsyn was converted to Christ. Now, his mother was a believer and she brought him up in a religious way, but, um, but uh, he rejected it because of the schooling, and so he rejected the faith of his mother and the, uh, the faith that he has brought up in, in his childhood, and he became a very convinced atheist. Well, now in the Gulag, in, in the labor camps in Siberia, he starts to have a spiritual awakening, and he turns back to Christ. And so in his first novel, One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich, published in 1962 after his release, he exposed the savage brutality of the communist concentration camp systems. In 1968, he published The Cancer Ward. In 1971, he published August 1914 about the outbreak of the First World War. In 1973, he published The Gulag Archipelago. Now, he also wrote The First Circle, The Red Wheel, 200 Years Together, but these books could not be published in the Soviet Union, only overseas. The only one that really got published inside Russia was One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich, which was not political. It was just describing the the horrors and the hardships of, of a life in a Siberian concentration camp. And under Khrushchev, they were encouraging a certain amount of openness and even criticism of the Stalin years. And it was a time of of detente and peaceful coexistence and all that sort of thing. So uh, they allowed a certain amount of freedom for Solzhenitsyn initially, but his other books had to get published overseas. Well, by 1974, um, the khrushchev thaw was over and the years were there. And so the Soviet authorities stripped Solzhenitsyn of his citizenship and exiled him from the country. Well, the day of his final arrest, 12th of February, 1974, he released the text of his book, Live Not By Lies. So he was exiled to the West where he received a hero's welcome in West Germany. He was the courageous author who had exposed to the world the anti-Christian savagery and the unbridled malice of Marxism. There's no doubt that Alexander Solzhenitsyn remains the most famous, the most influential Russian author of the 20th century, no close second. In his book, Live Not By Lies, he basically outlines the strategy to destroy communism, to undermine communism from within. And it's very relevant to us today because we are living in an age of deception, mass deception, lies. Well, in Live Not By Lies, Alexander Solzhenitsyn urges his fellow Russians to refrain from cooperating with the lies of the Soviet regime. He encouraged even the most timid should take this least demanding step towards spiritual independence. So he ridiculed the bravado around our adventures into space against the backdrop of ruin and poverty at home, the buttressing of distant savage regimes, referring to savage regimes such as that in Angola and Mozambique where I did a lot of my missionary work, the kindling of civil wars and the ill thought out cultivation of Mao Zedong, who was outstripping even Stalin in his mass murder. They put whomever they want on trial and they brand the healthy as mentally ill. So then Alexander Solzhenitsyn blames the average person as being complicit in this colossal crime. A universal spiritual demise is upon us. A physical one is about to flare up and engulf us and engulf our children while we continue to smile sheepishly and babble, but what can we do to stop it? We haven't the strength. Solzhenitsyn criticised the willingness to surrender up all principles, surrendering up our soul, all the labors of our ancestors, all the prospects of our descendants, anything to avoid disrupting our meager existence. We have lost our strength. We've lost our pride. We've lost our passion. He points out that they did not seem to fear war. They did not seem to fear a common nuclear extinction. They didn't even seem to fear a third world war. However, the common herd of people feared taking a stand on principle. We hope only not to stray from the herd, not to set out on our own and risk suddenly having to make do without white bread, the hot water heater, or a Moscow residency permit. Soviet citizens had allowed themselves to become subjects, slaves, sheep, not only tolerating their oppressors but politely applauding them. He condemns this cowardice and this compromise, this complicity with communism and the Craven claim that we can do nothing. But we can do everything, he said, even if we comfort and lie to ourselves that this is not so. It is not they alone who are guilty of everything, but we ourselves are guilty. He addresses the common assertion that we are powerless and there's nothing we can do. He admits that Soviet subjects and slaves have no recourse to free elections as they were in a one party dictatorship. He admits that to protest in the streets would result in losing a job or worse. But he refutes those who suggest that what is needed is another violent revolution. He reminds the listeners of the tragic history of Russia's last century. Today, when all axes have hewn what they've hacked, when all that was sown has borne bitter fruit, we can see how lost, how drugged were those conceited youth who sought through terror, through bloody uprising and civil war to make the country just and content. No thank you, fathers of enlightenment. We now know that the vileness of the means begets the vileness of the result. Let our hands be clean. So he totally rejects the idea of violent revolution. But there's a way out, he says. We must stop repeating the lies. We must stop glorifying the lies. We must stop strengthening the lies. We must stop applauding the lies. Those that attain power through violence have nothing to prop themselves up with but lies. For violence has nothing to cover itself but with lies. And lies can only persist through violence. Communist state terror demands of us only a submission to lies, a daily participation in deceit. Therefore, Solzhenitsyn suggests that the simplest, the most accessible key to our liberation, a personal non-participation in lies. Even if all is covered by lies, even if all is under the rule of lies, let us resist in the smallest way. Let our rule be not through me. And this is the way to break out of the imaginary encirclement of our inertness. The easiest way, the most devastating way for us to resist is to refuse to participate in the lies. For when people renounce lies, the lies shrivel up. Lies are like parasites. They need to survive by being attached to a person. So he was clear that he was not calling on the people of that time to step out into public square and shout out the truth, which could bring serious consequences upon the heads. No, but let us at least refuse to say what we do not think. Don't repeat the lies. Don't applaud the lies. Don't pretend that the lies are true. Solzhenitsyn recommends that the easiest, most accessible solution to the deep-seated cowardice and complicity with communism is silent resistance civil disobedience. He urges, never knowingly support lies. Step back from the gangrenous lie. Do not glue back the flaking scales of their ideology. And so the challenge of Alexander Solzhenitsyn is even more relevant today as we face the aggressive advancement of the communist agenda under a smokescreen of medical health emergency. To those confronted by the masquerade madness, the lockdown lunacy, the salvation by vaccination COVID cult, the words of Alexander Solzhenitsyn in his live not by lies is even more relevant today than probably ever before. He says, let every man choose. Will he remain a witting servant of the lies? Or has the time come from to stand straight as an honest man, worthy of the respect of his children and his contemporaries? Therefore, Solzhenitsyn recommends that integrity requires that we will not write, sign or publish in any way a single line distorting, as far as we can see, the truth. We will not utter such a line in private or in public conversation, nor will we read it from a crib sheet or speak it in the role of an educator, a canvasser, a teacher or an actor, that we will not in painting, sculpture, photograph, technology or music, depict, support or broadcast a single false thought or a single distortion of the truth as we understand it and discern it. We will not cite in writing or in speech a single guiding quote for gratification, for insurance for a success at work, unless he fully shares the cited thought and believes that it fits the context precisely and honestly. We will not be forced to a demonstration or rally if it runs contrary to our desire and to our will. And we will not take up and raise a banner or a slogan in which we do not fully believe. We will not raise a hand or vote for a proposal which we do not sincerely support. We will not vote openly or in secret ballot for a candidate whom we deem dubious or unworthy. We will not be impelled to a meeting where a forced and distorted discussion is expected to take place, that we will at once walk out from a session, a meeting, a lecture, a play, or film as soon as he hears the speaker utter a lie, ideologically trivial or shameless propaganda, will not subscribe to nor buy in retail a newspaper or journal that distorts or hides the underlying facts. And so Alexander Solzhenitsyn admits that such a principled stand may mean that some will lose their job. For the young who seek to live by truth, this will at first severely complicate their lives. For their tests and their quizzes too are stuffed with lies. And so choices, difficult choices, will have to be made. But we cannot avoid the daily choice in favor of either truth or lies, in favor of either spiritual independence or spiritual servility, slavery. And to those who lack the courage to live in integrity, those who lack the courage to defend the truth, Alexander Solzhenitsyn writes, Let him not brag of his progressive views or boast of his status as an academic or a recognized artist or a distinguished citizen or general. Let him say to himself plainly, I am cattle. I am a coward. I seek only warmth and to eat my fill. Solzhenitsyn admits that even this moderate path of resistance will not always be easy, but he reminds us hearers, of a great European people, the Czechoslovaks, in 1968, had shown us how one can stand down the tanks and bare-chested stand against invasion as long as within one's chest beats a worthy heart. Now, resisting the lies which have become pillars of the state will not be an easy choice, he admits, not an easy choice for the body but the only choice we may make for our soul. He reassures his hearers, that There have been many who for years have been resisting the lie and seeking to live with integrity. So we will not be the first, nor will we be the last. The more of us set out together, the thicker our ranks, the easier and shorter will be this path for us all. If we become thousands, they will not cope. They will be unable to touch us. If we grow to tens of thousands, we will not recognize the changes that we brought about in our country. But he points out that if we shrink away, if we stop complaining about the inevitable consequences, those who choose to stay with the herd reject freedom and bequeath the heritage to the next generation of the yoke with jingles and the whip. Well, the Iron Curtain fell in 1989 and citizenship was restored to Alexander Solzhenitsyn in 1990. In 1994, he returned to the Russian Federation to a hero's welcome and Russian President Vladimir Putin awarded Alexander Solzhenitsyn high honours and made four of his books, including the Gulag Archipelago and One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich, which required reading separate textbooks in Russian high schools. Some other great quotes from Solzhenitsyn are very relevant. He said, you must understand the leading Bolsheviks who took over Russia, they were not Russians. They hated Russians. hated Christians. Driven by ethnic hatred, they tortured and slaughtered millions of Russians without a shred of human remorse. It cannot be overstated. Bolshevism committed the greatest human slaughter of all time. The fact that most of the world is ignorant and uncaring about this enormous crime is proof that the global media in the West is in the hands of the perpetrators. When asked how it was possible at such a great nation as Russia could have been taken over by a small minority of rabid atheists, Alexander Solzhenitsyn replied, We forgot God. Emphasizing the importance of history, Solzhenitsyn declared, to destroy a people, you must first sever their roots, which is why history is so important. He quoted, in keeping silent about evil, in burying it so deep within us that no sign of it appears on the surface, we are implanting that evil and it will rise up a thousandfold in the future. When we neither punish nor approach perpetrators and evildoers, then we are ripping the foundations of justice from beneath future generations. A decline in courage may be the most striking feature that an outside observer notices in the West today. The Western world has lost its civic courage, and such a decline in courage is particularly noticeable amongst the ruling and intellectual elite, causing an impression of a loss of courage by the entire society. How is it that people who have been crushed by the sheer weight of slavery and cast to the bottom of the pit Can nevertheless find strength in themselves to rise up and free themselves, first in spirit and then in body, while those who soar unhampered over the peaks of freedoms lose the taste of freedom, lose the will to defend freedom, and hopelessly confused and lost, almost begin to crave slavery. Well, I think you can hear from these quotes from this great Russian author, this is a man who really and truly came to know the truth which sets us free, and there's so many passages in the Bible that tell us to make a stand. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will make a stand for me against the workers of iniquity? Read in Psalm 94 and verse 16. There are many commands in the Scripture to resist the lie. In Isaiah 59 and verse 14, justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off. For truth has fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey, a target. That's in Isaiah 59, verse 14 to 15. Leviticus 19, 11 says, You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. And you see, deception and theft go hand in hand together. Truth has been killed. In Jeremiah 7, verse 28, we read, This is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord, nor does it receive correction. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. Jeremiah 9 verse 5, everyone will deceive his neighbor and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves to commit iniquity. Revelation 20 verse 1 to 3, we read that an angel will come down from heaven having a key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand And he will lay hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bind him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and put a seal on him so that he might deceive the nations no more. So, evidently, Satan is still deceiving nations now. Nations are being deceived. Revelation 12, verse 7 gives the same message. And war broke out in heaven. The serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. The whole world is being deceived we taught in Re- Revelation 12 verse 9, Satan who deceives the whole world. And as Vladimir Lenin said, a lie told often enough becomes the truth. Well, that's what the Marxists believe. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine them. They've been blinded. 2 Timothy 4 verse 3 to 4, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves false teachers, and it will turn their ears away from the truth, and they will be turned aside to fables. Many will turn away from truth and prefer false teachers. And the truth doesn't change just because you don't want to hear it. We are involved in a world war of worldviews. James 4 verse 4 says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Unfortunately, many Christians today are trying to be the friends of the world. The world Council churches, the United Nations, Hollywood and the rest. Galatians 1 verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes, For do I now try to persuade men or God? If I still try to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. That's Galatians 1.10. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Matthew 15 verse 19, Our Lord said, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. Proverbs 12, verse 22, lying lips on abomination, to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. God hates lies, and God delights in the truth. And God will punish false witnesses. Proverbs 19, verse 9, a false witness will not go unpunished. He who speaks lies shall perish. Psalm 31, verse 18, has the prayer of David, let the lying lips be put to silence. Truth is truth, even if no one believes it, and a lie is a lie even if everyone believes it. Truth doesn't become a lie, and a lie doesn't become truth, and wrong doesn't become right, and evil doesn't become good just because it's accepted by a majority. Psalm five or six: You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. And so, falsehood, deceit, and and uh, innocent blood being shed goes together. Two Peter two verse nineteen could be written over all communist, socialist regimes. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. Psalm 101 verse 7 has the prayer of David. He who works deceit will not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. And so we should remove deceptive books and films and other media promoting lies from home and from our lives. Psalm 120 verse 2, deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. Nahum 3 verse 1, woe to the bloody city. It is full of lies and robbery. Its victims never depart. So we're living in an age of deception. We're living in an age of lies. Romans 3 verse 13 says, their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they've practiced deceit. Talk about practicing deceit. We've got a lot of toxic tongues poisoning lives and practicing deceit. And Hollywood's a great example of that. And so is the lamestream media. Romans 1.25 speaks of those who exchange the truth of God for the lie, who worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And evolutionists reject the truth of God and embrace the lies of Satan. And that's what the Soviet Union is built on. The lies of you came from nothing, you're going nowhere, life is meaningless. that There is no God and there's no day of judgment. And there's no right or wrong except what we, the party, determine. And those who refuse to obey the truth are self-seeking and self-destructive. Romans 2.8-9 says... But those who are self-seeking and who do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish are for them. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God, or the anger of God, is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So men who suppress the truth incur the wrath of God. Think of those who take the Bible out of schools, who take God out of government. Yes, those who refuse to receive and love the truth will be enslaved by strong delusion. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 9 to 12 says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the work of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with unrighteous deception amongst those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, so that he would send upon them a strong delusion, that they should believe the lie, and all of them should be condemned who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in unrighteousness. These are words for our age. And in Revelation 21, verse 8, we read about who will be condemned into the lake of fire for all eternity. And at the top of God's list, cowards, exactly what Solzhenitsyn spoke about. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their place in the lake, which burns with fire, and brimstone, which is the second death. So those people who participate in the lie because they're cowards, they are doubly fools. Because (laughs) liars are at the end of the list of those who will be condemned for all eternity and the cowards are at the top of God's list. And so those who think, well, I'm afraid of being deplatformed and afraid of being unpopular, I might get into trouble with the powers that should not be, and therefore I will go along with the lie. And doing that is so short-sighted because ultimately we'll all stand before God. And truth will come out and the lies will perish. Proverbs 14 verse 6, a scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. The truthful lips shall be established forever, but lying tongue is but for a moment. We read in Proverbs 12 verse 19, one of the prayers of Proverbs 13 verse 8 is remove falsehood and lies far from me. We should refuse to accept deception. And we should maintain truth and justice in our conversations. Zechariah 8 verse 16 says, these are the things you should do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Ephesians 4 verse 25, therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. Speaking the truth to your neighbor, that is what brought down the Soviet Union. And when you think of the full armor of God, Ephesians 6 verse 14, what's the first part of the armor of God? Stand therefore having girded your waist with the belt of truth. Truth is the very first item in the full armor of God. And we are involved in a spiritual world war. We're involved in a time of emergency and we need to respond and have the courage to speak the truth. The truth and justice of God are solid rock foundations. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4, he is the rock, his work is perfect, all his ways are justice, a God of truth without injustice, righteous and upright as he, we used to have a chorus uh, that we sang this particular verse, I remember, shortly after I was converted, one um, praise book songs, Uh, all his works are perfect, all his ways are just, a God of truth without injustice, righteous and upright as he, and so, Over and over in the Word of God we read, the Word of God is true. All God's words are true. And be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. We need to be diligent in understanding the times and understand the Word of God and knowing the truth. And this is a major theme in the Bible, Psalm 115, verse 1, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto your name give glory, because of your mercy, because of your truth. Truth matters. And you can see this theme throughout the Psalms as well. Who made the heavens and earth, the sea and all that's in them? who keeps truth forever. The truth will endure. God is described in Isaiah 65 verse 16 as the God of truth. And Jesus is the way, the truth in life. No one comes to Father but by him. John 18 verse 37, Jesus said, For this cause I was born, for this cause I've come into the world, that I might bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth Hears my voice. John 18, verse 37. Romans 3, verse 4. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar. We need to trust God, trust his word, the Bible, and distrust people who contradict his word. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what they say. What really matters is what God says in the Bible. All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Titus 1, verse 2 says, God who cannot lie. Hebrews 6, verse 18 says, It is impossible for God to lie. God is light. There's no darkness. In truth leads to godly living. And so you can see the fruit of truth. Paul, a bondservant of God and apostle of Christ, Jesus, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. Titus 1, verse 1. So again, and again, we see the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Of his own, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So Alexander says, did write. The lie is the pillar of the state. It's the lie is the pillar of atheism, of secular humanism, of the New World Order, of the Illuminati, of the Sabbateans. The lie is the pillar of this whole COVID cult. The truth is our most powerful weapon. The truth is the belt we should put on. We need to live in truth. We need to resist the lie. And by purifying our souls, we read 1 Timothy 1 verse 20, since you have purified your souls by obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love, So, obviously, the truth is the way to transform our minds, to refuse to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds through the reading of the Word of God, the washing of the Word. And we read about the Spirit of Truth. Our Lord Jesus said, When the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. John 16, verse 13, When he, the Spirit of Truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And so the Spirit of God leads us into truth. Truth is precious. Buy the truth. Do not sell it, we read. Proverbs 23, verse 23. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Psalm 86, verse 11. God's way is a highway for truth. And truth does not fear investigation. And you can tell who's lying because the people who are telling the truth don't mind being questioned or asked for the facts or or their research or their sources. But people who are lying, hate being questioned, and really try to bring in laws to restrict you and to prevent you from asking questions. And when you see somebody fearing investigation, you know, truth does not fear investigation. So if they fear investigation and if they don't like being questioned, well, what are they protecting? They're protecting lies. It is obvious. And so the truth will preserve you. Your truth shall continually preserve me, the scripture says. Do not be conformed. To this world, reject the lies of the world. Be transformed by the truth of God's word. The carnal mind is hostile to God and to His word. And we're warned in Colossians two, verse eighteen: Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to basic principles of this world, not according to Christ. The lies enslave, but the truth sets us free. And so, it is never virtuous to be gullible. We're involved in a battle for truth. We We've got a battle going on, and we need to reject and put off deceitful lust, be renewed in the spirit of the mind, because the truth is important. And our Lord Jesus said in John 8, If you abide my word, you are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That is why Alexander Solzhenitsyn has shown us the way ahead and how we can undermine this whole new world disorder, this whole Sabbatian Illuminati deception, Because everything they do is based on lies. And so by refusing to applaud the lie, by refusing to repeat the lie, by refusing to pretend to believe the lie, we can defeat, we can erode the foundations of sand which they've built this massive Tower of Babel on, this edifice of deception, by simply standing for the truth, speaking the truth, and refusing to participate in the lie. Back to you, Andrew.
0: Thank you, Peter. And it's interesting because, of course, you um, referenced uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn identifying that the Bolsheviks were not ethnic Russians. And um, Vladimir Putin even made a statement not so long ago, I think you'd be familiar with, that the Bolshevik revolution was largely Jewish, um, which uh, came out. Um, And the interesting thing is, of course, is that I believe that we're in communism today, that's what they're trying to impose upon us in the West, and you gave good examples of this with the COVID cult trying to force you to you know, wh- wh- if you can go out, if you can't go out, having to have a, an, a vaccine in your body that's done so much damage, all this totalitarian uh, nonsense but I've got a uh, quote here, I've emailed it over um, it's Ezra Pound it's not dated, it's from azquotes.com and it just says, democracy is now currently defined in Europe as a country run by Jews. And so bearing in mind what Vladimir Putin and Alexander Solzhenitsyn had to say, um, is democr- and, and then what Ezra Pound has to say, is democracy a natural progression towards communism in your opinion?
1: Well, it certainly seems to be the way Justin Trudeau records it, isn't it? I mean, he <laughs> says he only supports demonstrations if they agree with him. And uh, literally, he, he said that, you know, he cannot accept uh, uh, the threat of these truckers uh, to democracy. Now, here you've got just about the whole of Canada uniting in support of these truckers as freedom column who insisting uh, the end of tyranny and the return of their basic freedoms that they can get on with their lives without being harassed and harangued by government and forced to take vaccines and mandates. And and here's Justin Trudeau saying, this is a threat to democracy. How can something where the entire country seems to have gotten united in resisting uh, um, his tyranny and supporting these truckers and the freedom rally. You've never seen anything like it in Canada, but they are a threat to democracy, he says. I mean, here he doesn't want to talk to the hundreds of thousands of people gathered outside uh, Parliament uh, Square in in Ottawa, and he doesn't want to acknowledge that millions of Canadians all over the country have expressed their total support for this Freedom Rally and for what it stands, and uh, these, these truckers' uh, freedom convoy. And uh, that's a threat to democracy. And they regularly talk about this here in South Africa too, the, the African National Congress, ANC, Southern Communist Party, Criminals. Uh, who are looting this country, they continually speak about any of our attempts through protests uh, such as the pro-life stand that we took yesterday at the Gates Pond. This is a threat to democracy, they say. So the moment you speak out and you quote the Bible or truth or you bring facts to bear or you expose their atrocities, they say you're a threat to democracy. Bear in mind, uh, what was the German, uh, the East German regime called? the DDR, the Deutsche Demokratische Republik, the German Democratic Republic, the communists regularly call themselves democratic, whether it's in China or in the Soviet Union, they would speak about democratic republics. And and the word democracy, well, I often think it's more like demon crazy because it's more like mobocracy. If you can think, the first example of democracy in history that I can recall is in the Bible when the mob screamed, release Barabbas, crucify Christ. So that's democracy in action. The mob in the streets in Jerusalem chose the m- murderer, the terrorist, the revolutionary Barabbas over Jesus. And yes, I think his supporters have been continuing ever since. This is democracy in action so often. Not the rule of law. Of course, we believe in the rule of law, constitutional monarchy uh, uh, republic Republics of law where where law rules where it's where it's lex rex where the law is king and where we have government under law where they don't do what's most popular or what the mob says but they do what is right in accordance with with the words of scripture with the law of God the revealed word of God and constitutions that are built upon God's law so uh, yes in this sense. When these people are talking about democracy, they're not talking about many of us might think. They're talking about the rule of the mob. They're talking about um, manipulated mobs manipulated by the revolutionaries behind the scenes the jewish chief priests pharisees and scribes manipulate the mob in jerusalem to scream for barabbas to be released and jesus to be crucified that's democracy in action and today they're trying to incite whether it's wars with ukraine or uh, you all got to get vaccinated fire anyone who doesn't get vaccinated and so on and so forth uh yes that's that's what they call democracy quite right back to you Andrew.
0: peter what a fantastic observation how saving Barabbas over Jesus Christ is the first example of democracy in history that's it folks, mob rule and if you control the mob and you can rile up the mob then you'll get what you want Um, there's a couple of points I want to go off topic on that Peter and I talked about before we've only got just about 10 minutes left but I want to make a quick observation Um, the classic line to destroy a people you must first sever their roots Um, fact checkers Uh, going on to Google today and typing something in that I get pages of results on two, three years ago, and suddenly all the independent version of events has gone. You know, this is a conscious effort. This is destroying the people by severing them from their roots because you're basically distorting their history and saying, no, it didn't happen that way. But I remind people, my book came out in 2006, The Synagogue of Satan, which I'm best known for. They took it down in 2018, okay? But they didn't go out and criticise bits of it, which would have been very easy for them to come out and say that, but they didn't. But they make it so you can't get it, and then they put their history out there and say that that's important. And for me, these fact-checkers we see today, as soon as I see fact-checker, I see demonic, because that's what they are. And the fact-checkers are destroying people by severing their roots in the present tense because they're deliberately distorting things to suit what they want people to believe. And that's why I believe that this is an end game that we're going through now, that they're just trying any trick in the book, any lie that they can pull. And I just want to make one point, that I would not trust myself to be involved in creating laws for a country. I wouldn't trust any man, but I do trust the laws of God that are in the Bible, and they're already there by following the laws of god that god gave us in the bible they're there and uh i think there's 749 of them when you take away the uh sacrificial laws that were done away with with the um crucifixion of jesus christ if you operate on that law on biblical law and that is enshrined then people can't come in and weasel their way round certain aspects so they can protect themselves from criticism and what have you. You've got that set in stone because one key part of that, there is a law um, which requires a death penalty for blasphemy. So if you try to distort those laws, then you would be guilty of blasphemy against God and you would face that punishment. Peter, back to you for your comments.
1: Yes, well it's worth noting that the first fact checker in history was Satan in the garden. Yay, verily hath God said. <laughs> so he, um, Satan came along in the form of the serpent to Eve and uh, did a fact check and said that, you know, did God really say that to eat this fruit uh, results in death? And uh, so, yes, I, I think Satan's been the first fact checker and we've seen throughout history as well, the communists and so on. Then We didn't hear about fact checkers until the truth started to get out. They are not trying to check for facts. They're trying to get rid of the facts and suppress the facts to keep they're trying to protect the lie that's that's quite clear back to andrew
0: thank you peter and a couple of bits i've just got some notes here um quasi sabantu mission in south africa um what can you tell us that's happened there recently
1: Yes. So one of the great, well, not just one of the great, the most blessed mission in the continent of Africa is a mission called Kwasi Sabantu Mission. It means the place that helps people in in the Zulu language. And it's, it's in the kingdom of Zululand. And uh, I've been there many, many times over the last 36 years. What an incredible blessed place of of phenomenal work and revival, but you know, whatever's very prominent and whatever's very um, successful is of course criticized and, and, they have their character assassins and uh, those uh, pathological antagonists who are continually trying to get attacks on them in the media. And the media is willing to put in hideous uh, articles, you know, mission of hate, mission of fear, I escaped from the mission from hell and other garbage like that, you know, honestly. Um, but uh, I happen to, because I know the mission well, I happen to know several of the people who are the pathological antagonists. They, after all, try to contact me to get me to join them in, in demonizing this, this wonderful mission uh, in public. Well, I know that two of the key uh, pathological antagonists are spies, uh, by their own admission. One of them, Muzi Kaneni, had uh, testified that he was told by the ANC to infiltrate Kwasabantu Mission in 1978, which he did. And in 1994, when Mandela came to power, he left Kwasabantu. let be known that he was not a real Christian. He had been there's a spy. He joined National Intelligence Service. <clears throat> that's that's the CIA for South Africa, the National Intelligence Service, as a spy. He's actually in prison for murder right now. Uh, but his main job as an NIS operative was to smear enemies of the state or of the, uh, the ruling party, as the case may be. Um, and he's he's not just a major accuser or, and source of attacks on KSB. Um, he's, in fact, one of the primary sources of abuse that was complained about. Well, he wasn't even a real Christian. He was a spy infiltrator. Another... Is uh, Kursi Hrif, who um, says that he was uh, told by the state to spy on the Kwasabantu mission on behalf of the security police. So you've got two spies uh, from two different sides who infiltrate this very influential mission and who are now trying to discredit it. Well, they have used different testimonies of people, basically comes down to about five or six people uh, in this major news uh, attack on the News 24. I call it fake News 24. Uh, brought up attacks on Quasabanta mission, which I refuted systematically. But I was intrigued when I went up to their most recent youth conference. Uh, speak, They have thousands of young people coming to youth conferences twice a year then I was one of the guest speakers. So uh, I was intrigued to find out that one of the people who's been broadcast over media as, as having been someone who experienced abuse at the mission, it turned out that what they were talking about never happened. And she said in the end that, well, um, no, it didn't actually happen, but I, I experienced it in a dream, and the dream was very real. It was real to me. So these are the kind of uh, <laughs> test me's that are now used by news media. A dream, but the dream was real to me. Back to you, Andrew.
0: Yes, and um, the other quick question. You mentioned last week that um, you'd spoken to people in uh, um, Poland and uh, Auschwitz was still in operation primarily detaining Christians up until 1954. Could you go into a bit more detail about that where you got that information?
1: Yes. I mean, I was taught the same uh, lies that everyone else was in the media and in, in uh, Hollywood films and in the textbooks, and I didn't question them. But I've ministered in Poland on a number of occasions and from one side to the other, and, and it's interesting to find that the Polish people on the ground had such a different view. So in 1990, when they were celebrating 45 years since the Soviets liberated Auschwitz and you know all that, and my Polish hosts and friends, including pastors and Bible college principal and so on, uh, just scoffed at this and said, this is ridiculous. The Soviets never liberated anyone. And in fact, this man said, you know, we lived in Krakow and I regularly passed the gates and I and knew Auschwitz very well. He said, I can tell you that vastly more Christians died in Auschwitz than Jews and vastly more people died under the Soviets who ran Auschwitz for nine years than uh, the Germans who ran for four years. And he said, we know this. In fact, he wasn't saying this to me uh, alone. There was a number of pastors and other leaders and le- Bible college lecturers in uh, the room at the time, and they're all nodding and added their own anecdotes, too, about the lies and lies and more lies of the Soviets and, the, and you know, it, distraction from their own atrocities, from communist atrocities and so on. But they, they all agreed and said, no, the, the, the Soviets didn't liberate Auschwitz. They just continued to run as a concentration camp, pouring in their own people, and he said, uh, who were Christians, of course, and uh, I was told by uh, these Polish Christians uh, who are staying with, traveling with, ministering with, uh, that uh, no, uh, there's no doubt about it, uh, the Jews were running uh, the communists. In fact, the commissars were normally Jews, and uh, the Jews killed more Poles and more Christians than any Jews ever were killed in Auschwitz. And it's just interesting to get something from a totally different point of view. And so these Poles also had the Solzhenitsyn view of, I'm not going to live by lie, and I'm I'm not going to keep repeating these lies. And they can come out with these Auschwitz eyewitness testimonies, all they like. We know how many of these weren't there, have uh, lied, uh, and so on and so forth. And well, I mean, we know that so many scandals have come out of people who had very lucrative uh, contracts. Were an Oprah Winfrey published books, had films made in them, and turned out in the end they weren't even there, and it was all a fabrication and lies and so on. So um, to just, it's so easy on social media to pick up this heart-touching story that that gets spread out there and just uh, pass it on to someone else. And and yet, in many cases, what we are spreading is more lies. And uh, especially on social media, we need to be very discerning. And all these, I was there and I saw testimonies, let's be super careful about this. Because, um, you know, once you do a little bit of digging, it's amazing how many of these eyewitnesses turn out to be uh, pathological lies. Back to you, Andrew.
0: Thank you, Peter. And final question. I understand that you were on the March for Life this week, February the 1st. Can you let us know briefly what happened?
1: Yes. The 1st of February marks the anniversary of the legalisation of abortion in South Africa. In 1997, President Nelson Mandela signed abortion into law in South Africa. In the last 25 years, 2 million babies have been killed legally, officially, Mostly with taxpayers' money. And so to mark this tragic anniversary of this, this hideous law, uh, which legalized child killing in this country, we have every year in the last 25 years marched to Parliament and had a prayer vigil funeral service at the Gates Pont. We hire a hearse to lead. We carry a little coffins, uh, crosses, banners, posters, uh, and uh, we visually uh, demonstrate the fact that life begins at conception, abortion is murder, and we march down the main centre of Cape Town, Adelaide Street, and so on, past the city hall, past the castle, go to the gates of Parliament. And uh, well, yesterday, we were harassed uh, by the police for the first time ever in 25 years uh, the police were harassing and haranguing and and pressuring us and and interrupting and they were surrounding us and coming around with their cameras trying to film and harass and just thinking there's so much crime that goes on there's so much violence that takes place there's looting and terrorism and 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 yet so many police could be mobilised to harass a group of pro-life Christians who are just trying to solemnly and seriously and spiritually mark a tragic anniversary and remember the lives that have been snuffed out and, and protest it's a prayer vigil it's a protest and it's an outreach and uh, uh yet it seems that uh, the powers that be have ordered the um uh, police to harass us as pro-lifers which happened at our life chain um in october last year for the first time and now on our march for life for the first time we were harassed by police it does indicate again that the powers that should not be do not like the truth and as we know um, facts do not fear investigation, but lies do. Back to you, Andrew.
0: Thank you, Peter. And we're out of time, but before we go, can you please let the audience know where they can find your work and how they
1: can contact you? Thank you, Andrew. My personal email is peter at frontline.org.za or for the American C A. Peter at frontline.org.za and our mission website is frontlinemissionsa.org frontlinemissionsa.org SA short for South Africa so frontlinemissionsa.org is the website you'll find a lot of uh, facts, details uh, documentation to back up any of the comments I've made that you might have uh, wanted to question and if you've got any further questions just contact me at peter at today I'll be glad to answer thank you so much Andrew
0: thank you so much Peter fantastic information as always Folks, you have been listening to the real story of Alexander in strategy to defeat communism. Peter and I will be back with you at the same time next week. I will, of course, be back with you all tomorrow. And until then, have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. And bye for now.